Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Technologies are actually live from Southeast Linux Fest. The Ask Noah Show starts right now. This is the show where we came to do all the things on Linux they said couldn't be done and take your questions on how to do the same. The phone lines are open this hour to be a part of the program. It is a free call, 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624 or send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. My name is Noah July. I am your host. Delighted to be here with you. As another episode of the Ask Noah Show kicks off this hour, we're live from Southeast Linux Fest. Thanks for joining us. So it has been an absolutely fantastic weekend. Um, it really is day one, and as day one kind of winds down, the, the, the hallway track or the social part is really kind of just getting started. And so a number of different talks that were of interest today and had a lot of fun uh, meeting up with a lot of people. We took a couple of years off because of COVID. And so being back in person, we were back in person last year, but it was, it was a little downscaled just from the standpoint that people were still getting back into the swing of things. Um, and so being back here has been absolutely fantastic. One of the cool things that just happened to work out uh, almost like magic timing was the pine tab two showed up and uh if you if you don't usually watch the youtube version um this would be the episode to go and check that out because we're doing full video this time uh, we have video capability in the studio but i don't you typically use it because um typically an audio show but the pine tab uh two showed up so i'll be giving it a short little demonstration of that and uh, we'll be talking about that as always my co-host, Mr. Steve Evans. Welcome in, sir. Good evening, Noah. You kind of snuck by me. I was sitting directly across from you. I was watching to see when you got there. <laughs> okay. You got by me. I'm sorry. I certainly <laughs> did not mean to. I uh, we so what, what ended up happening is as the as the as the dinner rush has kind of got on, we we. Uh, we, we actually we snuck out for kind of a late lunch so we thought we almost would have gotten away from dinner and then as it turned out like the dinner time was going to be right before the program so yeah, i certainly didn't mean to sneak past you but what has been your impression of self so far so i think that there have been the most interesting to me was there was a, a talk on graphene os and what i found was interesting was the presenter presented for 20 minutes and he's like okay i think that's it i'm done and then the audience kept him basically would have kept him right past the time into the next one just asking yeah. questions i thought that was really interesting yeah so i i got a little more information on that i was talking to some other folks it turns out i so i understand it that guy has done that talk a few times and i guess every time he does that talk it's filled with questions and so he's intentionally shortened it down uh -huh. to accommodate for the questions because i guess every time he does it there are different questions but what's interesting to me steve how many people came to a, to the talk to learn about degooglifying their life it's something that's really interesting people are really interested in i mean i'm not really surprised in in, in large part because we've we've seen a lot of a lot more of a reason to guard your data mm -hmm. um, that has always existed but for some reason it started to percolate more and not just with the tech people but like for example my wife is a lot more cognizant of things that she's posting online and, and that sort of stuff so it's it's been permeating into the mainstream and i think that's kind of interesting 
Absolutely. So there was another talk that I thought was of great interest, and it was a talk on postmortems. So if people have listened, so if people have listened to uh, Ask Noah, then they've heard a small snippet of it because we we you you've done that talk a couple of times, and you did a very highly abbreviated version um, on Ask Noah. But if pe- people want the full Monty, as it were, um, that'll be available online. And you gave like the entire uh, presentation from start to finish really digging into the human aspect of how to troubleshoot not problems but troubleshoot the troubleshooting process is that an accurate summation of what your talk was yeah i think so largely the idea here is like you have to understand what is going through people's minds because mm-hmm. your objective is not to figure out what happened but why it happened right At the end of the day there's no point in knowing what happened your objective is always to prevent yourself from doing it again Mm -hmm. and that that is not what that is why and to get at the why there's a whole bunch of psychology you need to do in order to encourage people to share the right information right because um you know you and i have talked about how the the pilots in some uh incident were not exactly hiding information but they weren't volunteering information about how they were using a system because you know, it, this particular system really, really annoyed them. And so they would just shut it off at points. And at one point, an accident was caused because someone forgot to turn it back on. Yeah. And the it, the <clears throat> what happened was not as important as the why it happened, because correcting that for everybody took the why is this happening. And and not doing that means, you know, the, the, the reality is nobody wants to get spanked. Right. I mean, that's yeah. what it really comes down to. So if you if you put the the stick in front of people, then they're unlikely to want to participate in your game because it means they're in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. And so most of the talk is centered around understanding how people think, Mm -hmm. what types of questions that you should be asking when you're doing the postmortem. And, you know, we kind of round off with what to do and what not to do when you're actually trying to establish a postmortem. You spend a a lot of time uh, going to a number of different conferences around the United States and you have a unique skill set insofar as you operate at a higher level than I think uh, a lot of people do. What is your takeaway? If you, were, if somebody were to ask you, what would you say sets Southeast Linux Fest apart from some of the other? Uh, we'll limit it to community-based conferences. Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, I guess I should have expected that because you know Noah's been coming here forever, and and uh, if we didn't meet here, it was one of the first times that we met here, Noah and yeah. I. So we have a long history here. I guess one of the things that's kind of interesting is you just find people lounging around here. Uh Um, And that's always struck me as somewhat interesting. And they they kind of scatter chairs throughout the hallway. So the venue is set up in in an L. And so people just kind of pace back and forth in the L. And all across these hallways, there are just chairs that people just sit down and and it more than just standing and running into each other, which is the normal hallway chat Mm -hmm. track. There's like couches and more comfortable chairs and stuff like that. And I think that encourages people to just kind of stop and hang out in a place and just be visible. And that's something. So I'm going to pump my own tires here for just a little bit. So, you know, the, the as far as the hallway, the, the, it's the, the expo hall is largely the tables, right? The couches and the tables that you see around here, this is Q5 Sys and myself. When we set up the booth every year, we make an, a very explicit point to put all of the seating around 
to have a community space so people can gather and have conversations because it's I've always I've said this numerous times my favorite thing is the hallway track I just think that's the best part and I know if I set up a table and I set up all the banners and stuff there's people are going to come around and hang out if there is comfortable seating then they end up kind of sitting around and, and then they break off into little sessions and have ongoing technical conversations or they get into minor little hack fests right and start solving problems and doing things and I to me that's like one of the most valuable parts of any conference so uh I guess on at the risk of, of pushing you up on a pedestal a little too much, I think a big part of self self is you. And mm. why I say that is because like Noah, if you haven't ever come to self, you don't really understand. Noah just brings like tech projects and just sits and does tech projects while <laughs> stuff happens around him. And what that does is like like the other night I was like, that looks like Arch. Maybe I can like help out. And we yeah. kind of sat and troubleshoot something that he was, you know, working through. And that People look to Noah for for a focal point, right? Because it's something familiar. Like everybody knows Noah, even if Noah doesn't know everybody. Mm -hmm. And I've seen Chris Fisher have this effect to a, to a lesser extent in some of the other conferences. But but Noah creates a very open, welcoming space. Um, and what that does is for the people that come here that don't know anybody else, they have a focal point of like there's some connection with this person, yeah. and then that allows you know, a bunch of pe awkward people standing together focusing on this person might strike up a conversation with each other while they're waiting to talk to you, which might not have otherwise happened. And I think that honestly, I think that's a big part. I watch how people follow you around for food or for, for other <laughs> other types of things like uh -huh. what's Noah doing, you know, and, and it's been interesting Getting to watch Chinese you. food. Yeah. Multiple times. <laughs> So if I can, let's dig into to, to that a little bit. So the project that you were helping me with was actually with the Pine Tab 2. And again, if you, if you don't usually watch the video version, there's usually not much to see. It's usually just a chat room. But since we're live at Southeast Linux Fest, we're doing a full video production. So I'd invite you to do that. So I, I ordered the, I, I immediately, immediately when the Pine Tab 2 came up for uh, available for order, I ordered one. And my motivation was, primarily that I wanted an ability to display my drum charts. It's kind of a stupid thing, but like I have all of these charts that I use to play uh, when I'm playing with bands and stuff. And I have, I want a way to play the, or I want a way to store them all digitally. And I've come up with a system that works really well, but now I want a tablet that I can display them on. And every tablet I come across, it works for four or five years. And then they, whatever company it is, Apple or Android stop supporting it. And I, and it becomes e-waste and it drives me nuts. So, my hope with the Pine Tab 2 is eventually it will be able to replace that. And so it came, I was blown, like every other Pine product, I've been absolutely blown away with the value that I get for the amount of money that I spent. So I pulled it out and right off the bat, it feels like a, a high-end tablet. And I think, Steve, you were saying, you know, when you pulled it out, you looked at it and said, it looks like almost like a Surface. It doesn't look like some cheap knockoff tablet. It looks like a class product. Yeah, it looks like it feels really solid. Like it's not it's not razor thin like an iPad and it's not big and it doesn't look big and plasticky like um, an Acer product, for example. Their tablets are, are big hunks of plastic. Right. This this looks like it's a little bit more solid. Like um, it looks like you could cut vegetables on it. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels really good. And um, so I pulled it out of the box and I was I was I was initially I was super impressed with the build quality and the way they put it together. 
Um, then I noticed, so it comes with this box. It comes in the box, and I take it out, and, you know, it's a tablet, whatever. Then I noticed there's this other box, and I'm thinking to myself, self, why is there a second box? I have the tablet. I got the power supply. Well, like, what is this? And it turns out they shipped the keyboard with the stinking tablet. And I thought, man, every other manufacturer, this would be an add-on. And it's a decent keyboard. I mean, it is, it's, you know, it's no mechanical, you know, Razer, DOS keyboard, something like that. But it's, it's a solid keyboard. And it's got the little protective case and it has the little pins that you can connect the tablet into. And then it's got this uh, little kickstand at the back. And what I appreciated about the kickstand, have you ever seen some of them that have like, it's basically a piece of sheet metal and then the metal like yeah. bends around. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, well, if you've ever had a coat hanger and played with it as a kid, you know how that party is going to end. Yeah. Well, this, they've actually gone to the trouble of creating an actual hinge that runs through the back of the case and so it allows you to very granularly choose where you want the kickstand to be to let this uh, to let the, the the tablet uh flip up and then on the back they have it labeled pine 64 and so it, it looks like it, 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 it in every sense of the way it is a commercial product and and it and that that part's very clear so I pull it out of the box and initially I'm super excited because it feels good and I boot it up and the first thing I notice is on the uh, on the display, as soon as I log in, I am greeted with KDE and I'm thinking, well, that's really cool that it's a device that I bought, a stock device and before I have had to do anything to it, all of a sudden I'm running Linux on the device with the desktop environment that I would expect to see on my on my tablet and so I, I log into the device and again super excited and I'm super happy and everything seems to be going really well and I think great the first thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna get this thing connected to uh, the internet and I'm gonna go get myself <laughs> the software that I want and then I, I'm gonna put everything together and I pull down from the little Wi-Fi thing and there's no Wi-Fi and there's no connection available I'm thinking okay well um, Maybe I need to enable the device. There's there's a kill switch. That's what it is. There's a kill switch. Ah, oh, Pine. They're so great with privacy and all the rest of it. They probably have it hardware disabled. So I'm, I'm looking for the kill. There, there's no kill switch. Why is the Wi-Fi not working? And so I think, okay, well, you know what it is. I know what it is. I just need to plug it in and I need to get an update. Maybe that's what it is. And so I go on the forums to look to see if there's an update or something like that. And sure enough, there is a forum post about the uh, the Wi-Fi driver not being shipped with the thing. Okay, not a problem. You know what it is. Uh, now now I understand. See, they, they packaged the device and they shipped the device out to me. But then at the time that it left the factory, they didn't have it fixed, but now it's fixed and I just have to plug it in, get a wired internet connection and then I'll be fine. So I pull up my Type-C dock and I plug it in and I plug the ethernet cable in and there is still no internet and it doesn't even recognize the wired connection. And now I'm starting to get a little disappointed. This is not a great experience. And so... I read a little bit further and I find out, oh, they don't have a driver, so it doesn't work. It's not going to work. Even if I could get it to work wired, it's not going to work. So that was, if I'm honest, it was a pretty big bummer because like, here's this device. I pull it right out of the box and it doesn't have functioning Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. Okay. Well, I won't let my parade be rained on. I will find another way to get onto the internet and then I'll evaluate the rest of the tablet and I'll circle back to the Wi-Fi problem. And you know, some of the solutions that are coming up on the forums is like people used USB Wi-Fi adapters and stuff like that. Well, that's the last thing I want to do with a tablet is have a freaking USB thing hanging out the side for crying out loud. You bought a Mac, right? All these dongle life. <laughs> exactly. So, so I, I was frustrated, but I wasn't going to be, uh, my parade wasn't going to be rained on. So 
I took a hot mobile hotspot and I put it into tethering mode and did all the dances to get it connected. Okay, now I'm on the internet. Fantastic. Now we can make some progress. I can at least get some software installed and I can find out if it can at least do my drum charts thing. Because you know what, Steve? At the end of the day, as long as I can get some drum charts on there, that's what I really wanted it for, so whatever. So I go to install a piece of software. It's Arch, so that's kind of cool. So I go to install a piece of software. It doesn't work. Can't install any software. And it's giving these, me, me these messages about the signature being corrupted. So this is where you come in and you look over my shoulder and, and I, you're, you're so kind. You look over and you're, you see me struggling with it and you're just like, can I help? Like, yes. And I just shove it over and you set it in front of you. So I'll let you explain, like, what did you do to unbork the signatures? Well, so the first, the first thing is like anybody who's run Arch has probably run into this at some point. Um, and it stems from the Arch Linux keyring, right? So in this case, you didn't have an Arch, key, uh, Arch Linux keyring package. Mm. So if you did a Pac-Man QS, it wasn't there. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, the, what should have been the simple solution would be go grab the package out of the repo, pull it down, and then do, do a Pac-Man-U and you know, have your keys. Mm -hmm. That's normally what works. But because there were no keys to replace on the system, um, it was saying the Arch Linux keyring package was also corrupt. And we ended up in this problem where we had essentially it was saying all of the all of the packages were corrupt because they they were signed but we didn't understand the signature on the package so at the end of the day i believe what we we ended up doing was going and grabbing the image for the pine tab and hoping that it was updated enough to to have the the requisite software on it and so we reflashed the pine tab and i believe that's what worked yeah so it and it, so we, the, the, the interesting thing is with the Pine Phone or the Pine Phone Pro, they, it's interesting because ARM works differently than Intel. If people don't have experience, you know, you don't, it's not, they don't, they don't have UEFI, so you can't just boot off of a device and then run an installer, right? You have to flash an installed operating system onto the flash storage. Well, that's easy enough if you're booting off of an SD card, but, you know, when the storage is, you know, connected and built into the device you can't really do that so pine has come up with a clever way to get around that problem and what they've done is they've flashed a particular operating system that allows you to put this operating system onto an sd card and you boot off of the sd card and then it allows you to plug the device into your laptop and the laptop shows up as a remove the emmc shows up as removable storage well then you can just uh dd whatever the installed image you want is onto the emmc bob's your uncle and you have an operating system and, and that process has been great. And I think that's fantastic. And that was easy enough for me. But then with the Pine tab, they've actually done something different. The recovery image actually boots you into this little recovery installer. And it says it gives you a couple of options. Drop to a terminal. And one of the options is flash the EMMC with a fresh new install. And so I did that. And sure enough, it didn't fix my Wi-Fi problem, didn't fix the Bluetooth problem, but at least it fixed the signature problem so I could install software. So that gave me the opportunity to at least evaluate the Pine tab um, as a device. And as a device, the screen resolution is a little lower than I would have liked. It's 800 by 640 or something like that. Um, not a 1080p display, which is okay. Uh, the sound, though, is kicks the crap out of my ThinkPad. I mean, my ThinkPad has essentially like little dime speakers in it, and it's terrible. This thing is, I mean, it, it sounds nice for a tablet. So I tried i spent probably two hours last night three hours last night trying to install waydroid <laughs> yeah. which so and that was a process in and of itself and so we we pulled waydroid down and i eventually got waydroid to run i tried to install the software that i, I want which is songbook pro and i couldn't get it to run 
um, I, I had the Aurora store installed. I even signed into a Google account with the Aurora store, but I couldn't get Songbook Pro to install. And I can't find an APK on the internet of Songbook Pro. Eventually, so that that's that was problem. Okay, so that was problem one. Then then then, how did I'm losing track of how I fixed these things. Oh, I know what it was. So. I originally started with Aurora Store with the anonymous account. Mm -hmm. Once that didn't work, I signed into an actual Google account. Then I was able to get Songbook Pro installed. Okay, we're making progress. But then I ran into a new problem. There's no accelerometer or the accelerometer doesn't work inside of the PineTab 2, so it doesn't go into portrait mode. So I can manually rotate the KDE desktop to be in portrait mode, and I can launch Waydroid and launch Songbook Pro, however, comma, Waydroid always launches in landscape mode, so it just cuts off like the, the, the two sides, and it doesn't actually solve my problem. So at the moment, I have no way of using this for the thing that I wanted to, which is um, to to uh, display my drum charts. So I, I cast that aside for the moment. I'm convinced it'll get there. I'm sure they'll work these issues out. So then I went to see what else it could do. So my next thing was, every time I travel, I want some form of entertainment. Now, for you, I think that's the Steam Deck, right? Yeah, I bring my Steam Deck around with me. And you just have it in the hotel and... Yeah, right now it's in my backpack because a bunch of us were sitting around uh, kind of fooling around with our Steam Decks over there. But uh, yeah, it's the Steam Deck largely. And then if there's an internet connection, I might use a browser to get to Plex. Okay. Oh, so you do watch media on it. Uh, yeah, I do. Yep. So so that was my next thing is I wanted I thought I'll use it as an entertainment device. And so I installed Kodi and threw some media on it. And it's for that, it's great. Plays the video smooth. Uh, again, sound is actually better than my ThinkPad. So, and, and even with this little kickstand thing, I was laying in bed and you would think this would be like too floppy and wouldn't work. Actually works really well. Um, had it up on my knee and, and it was just fine. In large part because you can make this little kickstand be as granular as you like. So you can get the proper angle of the dangle of the tablet. And um, so I installed Kodi and I was using it for that. That worked really well. Got VS Kodium installed and was able to do, uh, do my show notes and stuff like that. That worked really well. And um, uh, installed Audacity and, and got Firefox and stuff like that and that working well. One of the other things that they did that I thought was really clever, they used the web browser from um, Sailfish OS, which is called Angelfish. And I, originally I was like, well, why would I want Angelfish? Why wouldn't I just want Firefox? I use Firefox on everything else. I've used Firefox on my phone. I use Firefox on... Why, would I want, why wouldn't I want Firefox? On? I'll tell you why. In Firefox, when you click into a web page and you pull down, what does it do? Well, it highlights text. In Angelfish, when you tap into a web page and pull down, it scrolls the page. So my question is, is this running Wayland? Because if it's running Wayland, so there are, there's um, flags that you can pass in. So um, not elementary, um, Endless OS does this. And, okay. and so there's actually just a command that, that you run. Um, and basically it just toggles the mode in Firefox. Um, it's just a simple one. You can find it all over the internet. Lots of people are talking about it. It's not specifically related to your tablets related to touchscreen and how it works oh, in touchscreen and so um ran into this problem solved it it just stays in the history in the browser for whenever endless updates itself and then okay. you just rerun it the next time firefox is updated and it goes back to scrolling as normal i'll have to give that a shot so i so i so i i discovered i guess why they or one of the reasons i guess why they maybe have had started with angelfish but as far as like having like Yakwake or a drop-down console, all of that stuff works great. Um, using VLC works great. Audacity works great. All of the like the things I would do on my laptop or on my desktop work great. Now, does it feel like you're on a Core i7? No. 
It doesn't. It feels like I'm on a entry-level ARM device. But you know what? I spent $200 on this thing. $200. And you and I were having a conversation. Steve, what can you buy at a big box store for $200? Hmm. That's a good question. There, there isn't a whole lot you can buy for $200. You might be able to buy a Pixel 6 if it's on sale. Okay. I, you know, that's something you could buy. But yeah, for $200, there, there isn't a ton that you're going to get value, especially for what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. You can do a lot in the used market for 200 bucks, but at a retail store, not a whole lot. So, you know, if you, you might get like some entry level thing or maybe I think you were saying like maybe mid-level tablet sort of. Yeah, thing. you can you can get a decent mid-level mid mid-level tablet. But at the same time, you're going to be constrained. Usually at that price point, which where you're going to be is like a limited set of upgrades that that they will support. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're on an old usually you're several versions, not one, not two, but like multiple versions of Android behind. And that's just where that tablet's going to stay, you know, and. There'll be some other compromise that you'll make at that price point. So I saw a I saw some interaction on social media that was really disappointing to me. And it basically there was a guy that was explaining that he had tried to run the Pine phone as his daily driver and it eventually wound up inside of his desk drawer because he just he couldn't use it. And somebody else responded to his message and said, Yep, see, that's that that that's the real end of the story is that Pine is nearly nothing more than a company that makes e waste. And I thought that comment is so tone deaf to what this company is and the products that they produce because i have learned more about the arch process the signature process um how the ability to experiment with arm devices and these sorts of things they make it so stinking easy because they give you access to everything all of the schematics all of the parts being able to boot into things and flash different operating systems you and i sat in a presentation today and the guy said you got to use the right USB cable. Mm-hmm. You got to buy the, the the phone from the right place. You can't you can't buy it from you know from these places. You got to make sure that you you get this that. And the other. Yeah. Why would I want to jump through all those hoops? What about I just want to own a device? Where where can I buy a device where I can just own the device outright and do what I want to do with the device? And to me, that's what this does. Now, does everything work perfectly out of the box? As if it did, if I bought a thousand dollar new tablet, no, it doesn't. So there's the, there's the Bluetooth issue. The other thing is there's no standby, right? So if this thing is on and I close it, it doesn't go into standby. If I go into the, the menu, it does well, there the screen shut off anyway. But if I go into the, the, the uh, launcher menu, uh, hibernate or standby isn't an option. I can, I, my only choice is to shut down. So there are definite, there's definitely room. Oh, and when you shut down, it gets, it's, it's funny, it's reminiscent of like the 1990s. You shut the tablet down and it says, this machine is ready to power off or something like that. Oh, and then you got to push yes. and hold the power button and power it down. Yes. So is there room for improvement? 100% there is. But to me, the the fact that you can get a device that has two Type-C ports, that has HDMI out, that has uh, 8 gigabytes of RAM, that has a touchscreen display, that has a little keyboard dock, and the device is designed and built for you to do what you want to do with the device, whatever that happens to be, and it's at a price point that anybody can afford. Uh, to me, that is a super valuable investment. And so today, it's a great note-taking machine. It's a great media playing or entertainment machine. It's a great learning experience. Um, and someday, I hope it will eventually check my box of being able to be a drum chart machine. But today, it, it doesn't quite do that. But in even emulating Android, like, again, it wasn't silky smooth. It wasn't like running it on a, on a Pixel 6. But 
it function like Android ran and I could launch the app I wanted to, to launch. So I think there's tremendous value in these types of devices. And, 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 I, and I've said this numerous times with Pine, and it's absolutely true with the Pine Tab 2. I think, so I paid $200 for this. I think I got well in excess of $200 worth of value. Even, and I, I say that even knowing that it doesn't have working Wi-Fi out of the box. I'm sure they're going to get that fixed. I'm sure that's something that's going to come down the pipe, and I'm perfectly okay being one of the early adopters. But that whole process from start to finish was like a three-hour thing to, to go through and do these things. So I think um, getting going back to some of the comments that you saw and, mm. and some of the things that I've kind of heard around, uh, just around the conference, you kind of have to temper your expectations with this, right? Like if you're yes. comparing... Okay, I bought a Pine phone. I know we're talking about the Pine tab, but the comment was about the Pine phone. Mm. If I bought a, fi a Pine phone, why doesn't it perform like my $700 Pixel or my $1,000 <laughs> exactly. iPhone? Right? It, that's not really the target audience. Uh, and you have to think about, I know that it doesn't resonate with the average consumer, but the average consumer is not going to find a Pine phone. Mm. They're not going to find the Pine tab. Mm -hmm. but, but you have to think about the fact that I have some inside knowledge on, on how much the Mycroft um, project was spending in order to ship their stuff. And they basically were making no margin on it. Mm -hmm. And people were saying, well, $500 for the voice assistant or, or whatever it was that they were actually charging is, is too much. And the, well, we're too small to be able to buy at a bigger volume to get the price down. And so you have to temper your, your expectations with, you know, what am I getting for this? Uh, what am I trying to achieve? And, and, you know, essentially, usually when you hear these types of comments, what it is, is someone is trying to replace a really expensive thing with a really cheap thing. And then uh -huh. being very frustrated that the cheap thing, and I don't mean cheap quality. I yes. just mean like a price disparity. Like, well, you saved $400. What did you think that was going to get you? Right. And there's, there's a little bit of, um, cognitive dissidence that's happening there. And I think the... I kind of deflate my own argument here because the Wi-Fi would be a killer for me. Like yeah. my expectation is the tablet gets on the internet somehow. No kidding. That that is a you know, and I, I've I've gone back in my head because I I was trying to think to myself like, what would if I woke up in Pine 64's position? So I have this tablet, I have the thing, the chipset is in there, and the driver's borked, so I can't sh like, what do I do? Well, my options are I could delay shipment. I could just say, hey, we're not we're not going to ship a not working product. It's not the way we do things here. So we're going to hold on to these and then we're going to wait until we get the driver fixed and we'll ship it with working Wi-Fi. That's option one. Option two, we could send it to people and just tell them, hey, Wi-Fi doesn't yeah. work. We'll get it fixed as soon as we can. And I started thinking like, well, what would I would rather do? Well, you know what? I have had an absolute blast with this thing since pulling it out of the box. I've had way more fun with this $200 toy than basically any other way I could have spent $200 than I could think of. And even though the Wi-Fi didn't work, I'm a nerd. I can think of five different ways to get internet on a device. Gosh, people pay me to get internet on things. So I can work around that. And it, at the end of the day, I'd rather have it in my possession. I paid for it. Give it to me. Let me have it. I'll use it for what I can. When you get the problem fixed, send me an update and then give me working Wi-Fi. Is it a huge failure on Pine64's part not to have working Wi-Fi? Yes, it is. Is it a huge failure to pull a, box, a, a device out of a box that, that has a signature key ring or lack thereof from 2014 that doesn't work and you can't update and your only choice is to flash it from scratch? Yep, that's a massive failure. I'm not sure about that. Okay. Because a lot of, like, I, I think about motherboards, I think about a lot of stuff that gets shipped that may have been sat on the shelf and is, like, mm. super out of date and we're just, like, we're okay with that. 
So, I mean, I'm I'm okay with that aspect of things because you got an early production run. That obviously, yeah. right? And so that happens. And I wouldn't real that I don't hold them against because we're okay with everything else. Like your phone comes and the very first thing that it does is it updates and it usually updates for a long time. That's right? fair. So you might criticize the update thing because it doesn't have Wi-Fi, so it couldn't update itself. Mm-hmm. But the the fact that like, hey, it had some problem and I have to reflash it. I'm not again, the target audience is is not like the average consumer. The target audience is someone who went out and hunted this up and probably can figure out how to flash a device. Do do you think that it's a reasonable expectation that okay, even if the Wi-Fi had worked, I wouldn't have been able to install anything and I wouldn't have been able to update without entirely reflashing it. Do you think that that's maybe a step too far to expect people to do even a techie crowd? I mean, I think that there's definitely improvement from a QA standpoint there. Like something something got missed. But I feel like um, there would have been an easier like if they have died if if it had Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. right? And they ship it to you, it's a, it would be a known problem really quickly. We're a vocal minority. Someone is going to tell you you did something wrong. Yeah. You exist on the internet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and because of that, they could have prepared like, hey, just curl this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like they could have provided a, a remediation mechanism fairly easily to that problem, whether it's just literally hand bombing because all that the package really does is it puts PGP signatures on your computer. Okay. You could literally hand bomb them on there if you were so motivated to do so. Sure, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be in the Pac-Man uh, database, right? So it wouldn't be aware it was installed. Mm-hmm. But in terms of getting you past the point of like, I can't check the signature on this thing, that's a pretty easily solvable problem as a general idea. So you fix the Wi-Fi, that problem would have been work like easily worked around. You've been telling me since, the, I think since like the day I've met you, Oh, I run Arch, by the way. Oh, I run Arch, by the way. You should run Arch. I, well, you don't. You don't say that. You never make the suggestion, but you just say you run Arch. I've. It's. It's of. It's of note to me that I would consider myself a person who wants something stable, something that works. I don't want frills. I. I just want it to work out of the box, sort of a deal. It stands out to me that Steam, when or Valve, when they choose to ship their device, they chose Arch, and largely nobody has a problem with it. In fact, I would argue that of all the technology in my house, my gosh, the Steam Deck seemed to be some of the most reliable things out there. And now Pine64 ships Arch with their Pine tab. And I, I start to look at that and I start to think, maybe there is something to this whole Arch thing. Do you see the industry changing? Not changing, but do you see people kind of catching up to what you have always believed to be true, which is if you want a smooth experience with Linux, Arch is not a bad way to go? Possibly. I think it has a lot to do with if you are releasing, hmm, beta is not the right word, but if you're releasing something that requires constant improvement, mm-hmm. it's really hard to work upstream in an Ubuntu or a RHEL or even a Fedora without having a copper or a PPA or some other mechanism. Whereas with, with Arch and the AUR or just plain arch like if you're a maintainer they'll take your package like there yeah. there are times where you get packages in arch before the website announces that a new version is out there mm-hmm. right so it's it's an easy on-ramp i don't think it's for everybody right mm-hmm. and i am not one of those guys that says it's arch by the way i just like to defend myself on that right, right. Uh, well yeah fair fair right the conversation usually goes oh i'm doing this in ubuntu like or or some other distro like have you done this i'm like no i 
I don't. I, everything's Archie. That that's kind of how the conversation goes, as yeah. opposed to misrepresenting me there. Thank you. Very yeah, much. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. So th- <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm playing the the tradition, traditional yeah. stereotype. I guess the more accurate would be, the more accurate representation of Steve is nah. I just and then yeah. insert whatever the thing is in this case, Ron Arch. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this: You have a talk coming up on Sunday, and for lack of a better way to explain this, it's essentially build your own adventure with uh, with containers and understanding the underlying technology of containers and Linux namespaces. Talk about that for a moment. Sure. So it's uh, it's this is one of the more technical talks that I give. So I, I range the spectrum from, you know, uh, conceptual things about like process improvement and all that kind of stuff to like this is how this works under the hood. And this is one of those it works under the hood. And the choose your own adventure aspect is you got 45 minutes, give or take, maybe an hour if you eat up the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just so much to cover. So this is from a a an administrator's point of view. This is not for, it's not meant at like, how do I run Docker Compose or what does a container file have? This is like, what are the limits, Linux primitives that help containers stay secure and function? And so the choose your own adventure part is going to be like, well, here are our options. What sort of things do you guys want me to talk about? Because mm-hmm. I can talk about these things and we have an hour. How can I best serve you? Taking a page out of your book. For yeah, that. no, I, I would say we share that. That's one of the, our, our, our shared passions. How, what do you think that that talk is appropriate or can, I'm going to rephrase the question just this way. If somebody doesn't have a high technical aptitude and they're maybe new or this is the first year, they're just kind of getting into the Linux sphere open source. Is this a talk that they can get something out of? It's possible, but like this is a deep dive, right? So this is aimed at th- this talk was born out of um, trying to help clients be able to troubleshoot a container. So like uh, the most common thing is I have a container. It's doing something crazy. I need to run a TCP dump inside the container. How do I do that without rebuilding my container? Right. And to do that, you have to understand how the Linux primitives work so that you can attach to something without doing something crazy. So this is this is definitely designed at like, OK, you want to understand if you wanted to build a container by hand, for example, without Docker, without Podman, how are these things being done? This this talk is going to help you do that. What kind of audience do you expect or where what kind of rabbit holes do you expect to kind of go down? Like, or I guess let me think about a better way to phrase that. What are the different choose your own adventure options? So we've got things like talking about permissions or how the security works, uh, which is different than permissions. How mm-hmm. how does it control access to resource allocation? You know, what happens in like on an individual level? Like, how does the networking work? So we can talk mm-hmm. about how does the networking work inside of a container? And like, what what could you do with just the networking namespace without an entire container? How does how do I keep my files separate from like, how does this container not see files on this container and uh, those sorts of things? Or, or how do I have how do I have a user inside of the container that just doesn't have any privileges inside of another container? Those sorts of things. Before uh, before we wrap the conversation about about self, it's so your talk is what time on Sunday? If people are listening to this or are interested in participating in the talk, uh, it's right. It's the last session in the morning, so I believe it's eleven thirty. It's eleven thirty to twelve before we wrap. Okay, so you can join Steve's talk if you're here at Southeast Linux Fest, or if you're not, there's still time for you to book it and get down. I think my favorite self commute story was uh, Cubicle Nate Nathan Wolf. 
uh, awesome, awesome gentleman who will actually be following this stream and he'll be doing Linux Saloon here from Southeast Linux Fest. So you'll make, we want to make sure to check that out. You can learn more at Cubicle. Is it cubiclenate.labs? Oh, I'm terrible. I should know the site. So he uh, was at work in Texas and he's doing his job and he gets done it and he's so committed to Southeast Linux Fest that he immediately flies home, packs all three of his kids up in, in their vehicle and they drive straight from Michigan to Southeast Linux Fest. He drove all night. He gets here at the hotel. He comes walking in. He's like, oh, I haven't slept in two days. I'm like, my gosh, man. He's like, I, sh I need a power nap and I'll be fine. And he goes upstairs and sleeps for like 20 minutes and then right into it. And he, he's here itself. And it, I mean, that's kind of the way it goes. Like, I think the first night I was up till five in the morning. Last night, I think I called it an early night at two so I can be up tonight till till all hours of the wee hours of the night but uh that was probably my favorite self-commute story and the commitment to being here to to being able to partake of some of these things oh another th cool thing about cubicle nate i don't see him around here but his daughter you have to see this steve you'll absolutely love this so his daughter him and his daughter printed like the best way i can describe it it's like a micro mini version of an iMac okay so you remember the old colorful iMac oh is that the pink computer she was walking yes. around with did you see it yeah I saw it did you get any hands-on time no with? she was wandering around with it I wasn't gonna stop a child I didn't know with hey can I play with your computer that's a good <laughs> idea don't don't do that so but uh, so they, they 3d printed that he said it took him over a week to print the chassis and then it flips the back flips open and he has two speakers inside of it a Raspberry Pi and they mounted a mechanical keyboard to the front along with the 10-inch display. Yeah, I saw the display in the keyboard. That That's pretty neat. I thought it was RetroTech, actually. Yeah! No, she built that. That's neat. His 11-year-old daughter built that. That's neat. That's crazy. Yeah. So what? What? So the the other thing that I thought was really cool was so at first I thought well that's a cool thing to just have and again you walk around this place and you see all sorts of really cool people and you see them doing all sorts of really cool things, but what was interesting about that project in particular she actually uses it that's how she does her homework so she writes school papers on it and she uh she does work on it and that's her computer and so yeah but they they printed it so that was i don't know kind of got on a sidetrack there but that 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 is probably one of the some of the cooler thing that i've seen kind of wandering around self um what has been has there been anything else that you've run into people that you've run into conversations that you've had with people that stands out to you is like you know what this makes it worth for me to take time out of my very busy life very busy day to come all the way from Sioux Falls South Dakota down to Charlotte North Carolina and spend some time with the Southeast Linux Fest folk well I think um aside from yourself but we're, we're pretty close in mm -hmm. terms of distance and stuff like that relative to everybody else but yeah. uh getting to see Mr. DeLuca and Brandon um yeah. I always have a good time with those guys they're kind of my conference buddies they showed up in Ohio last year and uh I don't know it was midnight or something like that uh Chris and I talked for like two hours about uh EverQuest and World of Warcraft and you okay. know living through those times and that that was that was really enjoyable for me it was like someone else who gets it yeah know? you know and that that was really nice i enjoyed that i would tell people if they're nerds and or they're geeks and they're thinking to themselves you know i spend a lot of my time in front of my computer a lot of time doing things and just other people don't share my passion this is likely the place where you're gonna find your people you know what I mean? Like this is the place where you can find there's going to be somebody else that's interested in that particular piece of tech coming up at uh, seven o'clock tonight is the rag chew. 
So this is from producer uh, JT Q5 says him and Jeff Probst are going to do you, did you recognize I, it's so some of the older technology I get some of it I do not um, this some of the names I did not recognize so they're installing a very old distro on a very old computer do you understand what they were talking about yeah so I recognize both of both of the old distros that they're talking about I never okay. I never really played around with them but it was one of those um, like that was definitely before my time I didn't I had a 286, but it was my dad's, right? My okay. my first computer, my first very own computer was an AMD Athlon. So I wasn't able to tinker around with uh, switching out the operating systems on the family computer. That just was not allowed, right? Not until I bought my own. <laughs> so, um, you know, I started like Puppy Linux and stuff like that. So th the stuff that they're talking about was well before the times that I started playing with Linux. So they're going to do that. Last year, they did. Uh, they installed distros on uh, on a PlayStation Four. Well, they tried to, but they ran into a cloud problem, so they couldn't. And then, um, but the two eighty six. Funny enough, right? Thirty years older, but because it doesn't have proprietary garbage and it's not vendor locked, it, that you can install just fine. And I think the most interesting thing there was, you, and you had actually heard of this. I was not familiar with this, but. In Red Hat 2, I think you said it was a Christmas special or something like it's, that? No, it's the Halloween. Halloween. Yeah, it's the Halloween release. So they had Redneck as a language, as a language, you know, uh, a choice. And so it would do things like, y'all about to wop your, 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 like, Y-E-R, your data off your drive. It's going to destroy everything. You sure you want to, and like, it, the entire installer is, is kind of phrased that way, and it, it's just, I don't know, downright hysterical. So that's going to happen tonight. We'll be streaming that. That'll be at live.mindripmedia.com. So you're uh, more than welcome to hang around for that. We'll have that available for you. Um, but yeah, the opportunity to build and maintain human connections, I think, is probably my favorite part about self every year and just being able to connect with people over and over again and then over various different things. Everything from that old retro tech to you helping me out with my tablet and, and teaching me a little bit more about Arch and those sorts of things, um, as well as other people that have their passions and hearing their business ideas and how they're sharing it. And of course, uh, you know, I get into a conversation with a bunch of other Matrix geeks about Matrix because, you know, it's like my, 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 my fourth child in life. And <laughs> so, you know, all of those things, you can find people um, that share your interests. And th that would really my, my takeaway from Southeast Linux Fest this year as well as it is most years. So I would encourage people, you know, the, the other thing I was thinking about this today, what makes this conference different than other conferences is largely the venue. So there are bigger conferences, right? But the, cons the, the issue there is they are often held inside of huge convention centers. And so you're either commuting from another hotel or even if you're staying on site, you're taking an elevator down, you're walking like a mile and a half to get over to the convention center. And then the conventions are spread up all over the place. Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. trying to keep track of people or bump into people, it becomes, you might run into somebody once, but you might never see them again. And so that happened uh, at Red Hat Summit. There was a, a good friend of our, of JT's and mine that uh, we ran into. We saw him once at Red Hat. JT ran into him once at Red Hat Summit. Neither one of us saw him ever again. We're at the same conference and we never once bumped into him again because it's so big and it's so spread out and people are across like eight hotels. So it's just impossible here. The, the conference venue is literally two hallways, like you were saying, it's this L. And so it's this, this, this very small, concise place that people can hang out. But because there's also the, it's also the hotel, there's really not a huge cost in hanging out until two, three, four, five in the morning because mm -hmm. you don't have to drive anywhere. Just yep. walk over to the elevator and take the ride up. 
So that encourages people to kind of hang around and you don't get what I call slam clickers, which are we get done with the talks and people go up and they go up to their hotel room and slam click and that's <laughs> it. You don't see them anymore. Yeah. You know what? It gives uh, this might be a surprise to some people in the audience, but I'm actually an extreme introvert. And so, really? yeah, I'm an extreme introvert. You haven't noticed that I just disappear. I, I actually head I mean, back up to my up to my room and I disappear for an hour and that works for me like I'm gone I was gone for a couple hours this afternoon and just I come back and show up and rejoin the stream and so that's a lot more difficult for um, for you to do in a, in a venue where you have to go a long way to go away yeah from, from the situation so talk a little bit about that because this is a topic that came up last night where we were all kind of hanging out and you know obviously there's a wide variety of people there's people that have all sorts of different social differences right there's some people that want different levels of social interaction and people have different social experiences that lead to different kind of interactions how do you define those things because it seems like there's misunderstanding around that well, if you're talking about like introvert versus extrovert, yeah. that's defined based on how you recharge your batteries. So it has nothing mm. to do with your ability to talk or interact with people. It, it can be like that is a symptom of, but a symptom of is not is not what the, where the definition is. Mm -hmm. So if you recharge your batteries by being like, for me, it's really draining to be around a lot of people all the time. Mm -hmm. And I just like, I just start to shut down. So I start by being quiet and then I'll just like wander away. And, and okay. you know, when I'm really, when my battery's really low, then the manners go out the window. And I don't mean like I get rude. Right. I just like, I'm just going to disappear. Like you'll be in the middle, like you, maybe you're talking directly to me. I will be polite enough to stand there. But yeah. as soon as you're done that sentence, I'm just going to walk away from you. Right. Sure. And, and that's just part of the, like the battery is so low. I just, I just don't care. Like yep. I need to leave now. That's kind of your personality in general, though. How, what, how do you phrase it? It's lonely being on top? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's not get into that. That's a whole other talk. Okay. All right. <laughs> so if uh, suffice to say, if you're looking for a group of people that can be your people, I think Southeast Linux Fest decidedly is that thing. And if you haven't been here, I highly, highly, highly encourage you to make a stop and check it out because I think you'll walk away uh, with, I think you'll walk away with, with true benefit. Um, before we get out of here, do you want to take, do you want to handle some feedback? Sure. All right. Come on. There we go. All right. Our first email comes in from Ray. Ray writes in and says, hi, no one, Steve. In episode 338, you guys were discussing problems with running applications installed with universal packaging. I had issues with Flatpak programs not working properly until I learned about a program called FlatSeal. It's a GUI-based program allowing management of Flatpak app permission. Using FlatSeal, I was able to discover that Flatpaks aren't able to access network drives by default. Once enabled, my Flatpak, my problems were fixed. There are many other environmental settings that can be adjusted, most of which I just don't understand. Anyway, this might be of interest to explore for somebody having Flatpak issues, maybe having a similar solution for Slap. Thanks, Ray. So, Steve, uh, have you tried this? I have, um, and actually, Flatpak uses Linux namespaces to do part of its sandboxing. So, really, uh, if you're listening to this and you're at the conference and you're curious about how this works, you can come talk to me. I'll help you out. Yeah, or come <laughs> to your talk, and I yeah. bet you'll touch on that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, yeah, FlatSeal is is good. It's something that you should know what you're doing to use because flat packs are designed and so are snaps they're mm -hmm. designed with confinement in mind and if you're going to break that confinement you should probably understand why you're doing it and what the cost of that is and most of the time it's it's not consequential right um because you're probably not running a mission critical thing that you're just going to start going and poking holes likely it's like 
I don't know, I'm going to run the Steam flat pack and mm. I need I'm I'm mounting a network drive for my games or something like that. Like there's it's a low bar, but you still should you shouldn't be going and poking holes in some the architecture of some something if you don't really understand what you're doing. Question for you. Would you say that poking holes inside of Flatpak, or well, I'll just say any generic universal packaging container thing, is it any worse than just running the package natively on the machine? It's not from that perspective, but then why wouldn't you just do, like, aside from having a universal store, you, you're essentially removing the, the reasons for running it. So it's, it's kind of like Graphene OS to de-Google, de-Googleify. Wow, uh -huh. I can talk at the end of the day. <laughs> uh, and then going and installing the Play Store and just letting it have all of the access anyways. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there's still some benefit, but there's limited, there's limited, um, there's, there is a limited viability or a limited amount of benefit that you're going to get from essentially taking a thing that was designed to do something helpful for you and then just be like, no, 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 don't do that. Just do this one thing, you know. The second email comes in and it's from Charlie. Charlie says, G'day, I came across this RISC-V computer. Would this make a great low-power dedicated IRC terminal or SSH PC? Connecting to a screen keyboard and mouse to a LAN port via the LAN chip it mentions it's possible. The Milk 5 Duo is a $9 RISC-V tiny embedded computer. The Risk or the Milk 5 is based on the Sofgo Civic Tech CV1800B. Do they still make brand new terminals? I haven't seen the ability to self-host a terminal solution with FOSS or Linux. Everything seems to be headed towards the centralized corporate cloud system, Charlie. What do you think, Steve? A $9 RISC-V computer. So the catch here is that it's... Um DDR2 and okay. it's like 64 megs. So oh. I mean it's $9. What do you expect yeah. for $9? That's a lot more than you get from like an ESP chip for the same amount, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But at the same the same regard, um, the utility is not hmm. I struggle with the utility of it because well what are you going to do with it? Because yeah, okay, it's an embedded computer, but in terms of like if you're trying to control hardware, you've got things like ESPs or you've got Arduinos or things like that that are already well established in the space. And unless you just want to play with Risk Five, not sure why I would stick my toes into this one. Lastly, before we get out of here, Steve, why don't you attend talks that say things suck? Can you talk about that? Because I thought I think that's a valuable thing for people to consider when talking about talks or when looking at going to talks. I think that if you're basing your talk based on a negative, a negative of something that has limited utility, like I don't need to know why you don't think that this thing is really good, you know, tell me why the thing that you like better is good without the comparison, it should stand on its own. The music in our ears means we're out of time. I thank you for joining us again. Follow the stream at live.mindrapmedia.com. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Colonel Linux. He's at Linux Ovens, the show at Ask Noah Show. We're back with you on Tuesday. we got our studio fix, so we'll be back on the air and live and all the rest of it. AskNoahShow.com. Have a good week. <laughs>